0: Welcome to Mint. My name is Adam Levy and I'm going to be showing you how the creators of today are building the communities of tomorrow by harnessing the power of Web3. This episode welcomes Verite, an American singer-songwriter based in Brooklyn, New York. She's also a music NFT pioneer who played a huge role in setting the minting models and trends for what we know as music NFTs today. In this episode, we discuss how crypto has changed her style of music. Her thoughts around ownership in the music NFT space, how she thinks about generating value for her collectors, where her origin for her business acumen came from, the three different types of NFTs as outlined in her most recent blog post, how she thinks about lowering the barriers to entry for owning music NFTs, her thoughts around pricing a song, the future relationship between an artist and a label, and so much more. I hope you guys enjoy this conversation verite welcome to mint thank you for being on how are you doing my friend
1: i am very good it's extremely cold in new york and i feel like i am hunkering down and avoiding the outdoors
0: nice where are you new york
1: i'm in brooklyn um just in my apartment
0: okay cool well welcome to the podcast first time on a part of season four all about music so we couldn't do it without you Uh, i want to dive right in okay Who are you, for those who aren't familiar with you? What does the world need to know about you? Uh, But more specifically, how did you get into crypto?
1: So my name is Verite. I am an independent artist, and I have been for the last seven years of my life. And I'm a songwriter. I'm a producer. I am, you know, essentially the CEO of the Verite world. And, you know, I've been playing music for as long as I can remember And essentially how I got into crypto and Web3 was realizing that the structures that I had built my project on and my career on were no longer a viable path forward for me anymore. And it led me to explore what's next. And that kind of led me into the Web3 ecosystem and all of the tools that can be built on the blockchain for artists to build their own.
0: Got it. So when you talk about tools, when you talk about your experience, walk me through more of like your journey in crypto. Okay. So that was very much like, okay, the ethos behind what you were doing, but how did you actually get your start? Like, how did you, what was like your first step in the door?
1: Well, my very, very first step is kind of silly looking back. Um, Essentially, I had RAC on my podcast, Anatomy of an Artist,
0: oh, cool. um,
1: where essentially I was talking about how artists balance um, living life, creating their art and building their business. And I was able to discuss, um, you know, how poorly the music industry values music and how Web3 is, you know, unlocks potential doors for that value. And so that was my initial um, entry point. And then I sold a few tweets. Right, back when scent, like Mm, at scent was a thing. Yeah. And that was my entry point because RAC bought one and Jacob from Zora bought one. And I, I was honestly extremely confused. Um because I was just like, this is kind of dumb. But that being said, it kind of prompted me to get a MetaMask. It put a little bit of ETH in my, like $200 worth of ETH nice. in my wallet, which then jumped from $200 to $600 because the market was rising. And this was in you know November, December of 2020. And it just really got my wheels turning. And I was just like, I don't know what this is, but it's something that I want to try. And it's something that I want to participate in.
0: Mm. Have you noticed, uh, because you've obviously been producing music prior to entering crypto, has your music changed at all as your journey in crypto kind of got deeper?
1: Um, Yes and no. It's really interesting. I feel like entering into this world it's actually unlocked some doors right so when you consider what kind of music you need to create to be algorithmically viable Uh you're put in a box right there's literally a whole genre called spotify core which is music that is really tailored towards the algorithm and i could name i won't but i could (laughs) you know i could name you (laughs) songs and artists that just like fit so clearly into that box. And the reason why I've been independent for so long is I have never fit into a box. I've always done things my own way. And I want to have creative autonomy and I want to make the art I want to make and distribute it how I want to distribute it, right? And so what I'm finding now that I'm you know, officially writing an album, now that I've spent a year in this ecosystem, it's really just unlocked a lot of doors creatively because I'm no longer just creating for streaming viability because that's been my primary uh, income stream for the last five years. I'm recognizing that like I actually have creative freedom to make generative art, and how can I incorporate that into a song? And how can I make this record interactive with my audience? Um, can they choose elements that go into it? Can they choose the ending, right? Mm. And also just the idea of, like, I get to make art for art's sake because there's now these tiers of value that, like, for a one-of-one music NFT, there's now a market for that. Um, And so it's really just expanded how I create. Um, And I'm still going to, you know, play the game over here and make certain strategic decisions, perhaps, in, like, cutting an intro and making it a separate track because that's what works, you know, in the streaming world. But also there's no limits anymore.
0: Yeah. You know, Verite, I recall you being one of the OG music NFT people in the space, been doing it for confidently over a year now, right? Music NFTs are finally having their moment now uh, with more platforms, making it more accessible to issue songs on chain. Uh, But one thing that stood out to me and something that I would want to ask is like, is your independence that thing that has been able to keep you out of the curve and have you adapt to changes of like industry landscapes or other other things that you feel like that are a part of your characteristic, a part of your personality that has has made you more malleable as times have changed?
1: I think it's a both. And I think honestly, there are certain characteristics of myself and my brain and like what I'm naturally good at that have led to my independence and my independence has been an asset for me as I've transitioned into these new systems. You know, back in the day when I started my career, it was like hype machine blogs, SoundCloud. Um, And there was this narrative that streaming was going to ruin the music industry and that, you know, it was never going to pay and that we were all fucked. Right. And so I kind of, was a very early adopter of, please listen to my music for free. I'm going to expand my audience. I was in, like really embraced streaming as a model because I recognized that the gates were down and that that was a path to entry and access for me. Um, and so the same, the same thing that now it's like, I'm looking at streaming as a model and I'm saying, oh, there are a lot of barriers now. that are not going to allow me to continue let me pivot here and so i think being an early adopter to new technologies and new movements is something that not everybody has the ability to do because they don't own their masters they don't own their work right but b it's like much harder right we're kind of especially like when i dropped my first official nft not the tweets in february 2021 there were almost no models for how to do that. So I was kind of in the forest with a machete, like kind of paving the way, being like, I'm not sure what I'm doing, but I'm gonna try it. I'm gonna learn, gather data and ideally do it better.
0: You know, I think some of the most successful campaigns in crypto and NFTs, won because of that level of experimentation, because that level of open-mindedness, because people are just throwing shit at the fan uh, and trying to see what sticks. You know, so you've definitely been uh, able to embrace that. Uh, one thing I want to I want to pivot to that you're actually very vocal about is ownership. Okay, ownership is a very great area, and I don't think there's like a definitive structure of what ownership really means in crypto. More specifically, for music NFTs, how do you think about ownership when it comes to your art? How do you think about ownership when it comes to these uh, minting platforms that people are creating assets on? Walk me through some of that and what what your thought process is around that.
1: Ownership shouldn't be as uh, ambiguous of a term as it is in in these days. Right. I think for me personally, like when I when I talk about ownership, it's like I have it's about autonomy. I have freedom to, again, create what I want, distribute when I want, and I have the um, full control over my project. Um, When we talk about ownership in the context of like web three, it's it's interesting because we're creating essentially a new asset class, right? Prior to this, it was, you can own your masters and you can own your publishing, right? But now there's ownership of the digital asset and authenticated um, transferred mp3 that is a one-of-one music nft then we have additions that you can create Mm -hmm. then we have nfts that you can create that where you can actually give a percentage of ownership in a fractionalized manner to fans of some royalties um but ultimately my goal as i navigate all of this is to maintain that core ownership of um you know having freedom to be the artist that I want to be and create in the way I want to create. And so everything else is just an experimentation of value in my opinion.
0: Mm. Which value is very arbitrary as well, which we can we can yeah. kind of get into later, but I guess more on the topic of ownership, what platforms are doing ownership correctly? Because ownership within itself is also very arbitrary if you think about it. Like people can define what they want to own. Like people may be buying merch online that mm-hmm. maybe equate to ownership into the overlying brand of a, of an artist. Like it's very there's different like tiers and, and elements of what ownership means. Who's doing ownership right? And this could be either from a platform play or a creator play. You think?
1: If I'm being honest, I don't even know how to answer that question mm. because I think that I'm pretty. Um, I don't want to be platform dependent, right? right. I, I don't think any platform can do it correctly. I can say that certain platforms are providing a really beautiful experience for collectors and artists. So when mm-hmm. I look at that, um, I'm a really big fan of Zora. Okay. Right? Zora feels like the independent um platform in general. It's a protocol, lots of platforms are built on top of it. Um, and my first NFT was released on Zora, and right. there's no fees. Right now, when I first started, I had to get invited, but right now anybody has access to it. Um, then you have Catalog, which is focusing on one of one music NFTs, and they have right. a really pure ethos. It's like music has value without any strings attached and one of one music nfts um feel like the mona lisa of music nfts right it's it's right. it's the one that's going to be created um then you have sound uh dot xyz but i think yeah. it's just sound um yeah. that's focusing on additions and almost gamifying um the collection process by being able to like leave a comment. They're really focused on community. So that's, again, another pillar of like potential. Then you have, um, async, which Mm. is focused on how do we create, you know, I I made a piece for async this year that had 246 unique versions of a song. Mm. Right. And so again, that's more in the participatory and and collaborative with collectors, uh, lane and then you have royal which is then focused on fractionalization of ownership creating a bridge to real world assets um and providing users the opportunity to use like fiat credit card etc and so i think that and then there are way more right yeah. now they're limitless but it's just like i think each is solving a unique problem and then it's up to artists to be like well what problem am i personally trying to solve and then using the platform and aligning with collaborators that are going to help each individual artist solve their uh, unique problems.
0: So actually, what problem are you trying to solve? Do you have one big picture problem or do you break it down into different problems as your creativity takes control? Uh, How do you think about that?
1: Limitless problems. Um, And and again, it's like, I, I view everything a bit segmented. I think the main problem Um, that I see or that I saw, which propelled me into this was lack of direct access to my audience and platform dependency, right? Uh, Instagram shows my content to about 10% of -hmm. subscribers. Um, I have to ask Spotify to access my 275,000 followers, and maybe they'll give me that access twice a year. Um, And so, and that's, you know, those are just two examples of the many examples of how the platforms that we as artists provide value to um, actually are no longer working in our favor. And so how do I take out the middleman and interact directly with my fans? And it started honestly with the discord, right? Right, The idea of like subscribe. And when I talk, you can hear me talk if you're on the platform, but now has morphed into, well, how do I create multiple uh, tiers of value for different types of fans and collectors there's some collectors who want to own a one-of-one they want to own something exclusive they want an exclusive experience Um, what can I create for them and then what can I create for the fans in mass that doesn't detract from what I'm already doing Mm. but allows me to you know when I have a show, know who came to that show and not rely on Ticketmaster for that information because they don't give it. So it's really like there are limitless problems and each one of my experiments has been an attempt to solve that problem and learn more and figure out ultimately like in the end, what am I building?
0: So that kind of comes down to building like a minimum viable community, like a bare naked form of, 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 uh, of your collectors, of your supporters, of people who are kind of collecting stuff from you on chain, right? And I think you, you nailed it, Verite, because you have the one of ones, you have the additions, you have general music fandom, you have digital merch, you have tickets, you have uh, po-ops, you have all these different like on-chain assets that you now need to build communities around. How do you do it in a way where you can create like a full encompassing experience, but also create more tailored experiences for those who either committed more or attend more or engage more, et cetera. Have you found the right like formula to kind of tackle that problem? And if so, would you mind sharing? Because I feel like it's a problem that a lot of people encounter.
1: I think that we're so early that there hasn't been this like perfect combination where I feel like I have quote unquote figured it out. Um, that being said, it's like, I know a lot more than when I started, Mm -hmm. right? Like I know that music has more value than the 0.004 cents and that we're getting and the baseline of free and that people are extremely willing and excited to contribute to an artist's success, both financially and through time. It's like, and so financially it's like, music, again, one-of-one music NFTs. But then you have fans on the other end of the spectrum that can't participate financially, and they want to participate by hyping your music up, by tweeting, by just participating in a community. And so how we bridge that... I think it's just going to take time, right? We don't know how, like which of these hundreds of platforms that are getting built are going to actually survive the next three to five years. And so when I'm looking at this, it's like, I'm going to be here for a long time. Yeah. I'm going to be here through the three to five years. It's going to take to onboard the average fan into the ecosystem. And while I do that, I'm going to really pivot towards the web three community and be like, well, what do you want? What do you value? And like, Let's create some art and let's create a world together.
0: Yeah. <clears throat> makes makes a lot of sense. You know, you you published this really great blog post that uh, I mentioned earlier in our conversation titled, uh, what was the title? It was a titled A Year in Music and Web3 Dot yes. dot dot. Um, which was an eye-opening blog for me to read personally, which actually helped me kind of plan for this interview as well. And I wanted to bring up a couple points that you mentioned over there. Okay. And uh The first one comes around value. And we we touched upon this earlier as well, uh, agreeing that value is a very arbitrary thing, right? Everybody, one man's trash is another man's treasure, right? And how do you kind of like, how do you develop value? And you poised a few questions, okay, that I want to bring up. But you kind of like, you boiled it down to, and I quote, recognizing that value isn't a fixed proposition, but a dance between two entities, ever shifting, evolving, and reacting to its environment, end quote, okay? And after you said that, you kind of put, what is the value, right? Is something valuable just because I say it's valuable? Does sentimental value create monetary value? How can I create value for my fans? Could I use NFTs to build a better foundation for myself and my community? These are all solid questions. And I want to try to tackle them, give or take each, starting with like, what is value? Like, How do you think about value? Because it's so arbitrary, because you know your audience, because you have a vision of the problems you want to solve, how do you tie that back into generating value
1: so again it's like i think value if we're gonna sit and try and break it down which is almost impossible (laughs) right but like if we're sitting here gun to head we must we must create a definition i think that there are two types of value right depending on context there's sentimental value and then there's monetary value right sentimental value Mm. like when i talk about my music and like what i create and the experience that i have releasing that music to the world and interacting with fans on a one-of-one level who resonate with that art right there's no dollar sign that can um that we can attribute to that value. like it's limitless um that being said when we take that and put it into the real world and a marketplace it's like the value is the dollar amount that someone is willing to pay for that Mm -hmm. right and so i'm a big fan of recognizing that two things can be true at the same time right but it's like when people talk about the value of music and the value of art we all get very emotional right because It's an emotional thing, creating art. And how do you put a monetary value on that? And so recognizing, you know, the idea that it's not a fixed proposition, just because I say something has, you know, is worth a million dollars doesn't mean someone's willing to pay a million dollars. So does that mean it's worth a million dollars? And again, this is going to take us into like a philosophical cycle that we're, we're never going to solve.
0: <laughs> Which I might want to dive in for a second, but I don't want to cut mean, you off. Keep I mean, going, I'm right? into it. I, I
1: Again, I live in this thought cycle. And so for instance, you know, in the spring, I experimented with selling off a percentage of master recording in right. perpetuity. And I decided that for me personally a million dollars felt like the right number for 100%. You want 100% of this, you pay a million dollars, right? And so that was kind of experimenting with my own sentimental value, paired with the practical reality of like, I know what the potential of my music can return um, because I own all of my masters and I have 350 million streams. Like I understand the economics of that, but also there's a sentimental value of like this is my baby yeah right like i need to get paid if i'm gonna let her go um and that being said so i took that into the real world and i was just like well let's experiment i'm gonna give my valuation but i put no reserve on it and so ultimately i sold 2.3 percent of that master recording in perpetuity for 11th, eth which was 23k at the time so essentially so cool.
0: so it's cool. like i got to
1: play with both <laughs> right, right? my own valuation but then letting the market decide well how much am i willing to risk on this right um and i think for me that experiment was really brilliant in and felt very like empowering to me as an artist being like okay cool now i have some more information of i know how i value myself and now i see how others in the marketplace value me
0: yeah makes a lot of sense i want to i want to pivot for a second What's up guys, Adam Levy here. Sorry for the quick pause. I wanted to give some love to our two NFT sponsors that are making this episode a reality. They are Coinvise and Polygon Studios. On Coinvise, you can create a personal or community-owned social token on Ethereum or Polygon. Coinvise also helps you create incentives through token rewards and bounties, NFT business models, and bot integrations for Discord. Discover more today by visiting coinvise.co. Polygon Studios is the gaming and NFT arm of Polygon, who's focused on growing the blockchain gaming and NFT industry while bridging the gap between Web 2 and Web 3 gaming. The Polygon Studios ecosystem comprises highly loved blockchain games like OpenSea, Upshot, Avagachi Zrun Skyweaver, Decentraland, and Decentral Games. If you're a gamer, builder, or NFT creator looking to join the Polygon Studios ecosystem, get started today by visiting polygonstudios.com. All right, back to the episode. I wanna I wanna pivot for a second, okay, and just explore more of like your business mentality because as we both agreed, value is arbitrary. But uh it was season two, episode two of Mint. Okay. I had these two gentlemen on. uh, they were called uh, uh, Neil Harbison and Paul Lombarte, okay. And they're, they're like biohackers, okay? They One of them has like an antenna attached to his head because he's colorblind. And he uses mm-hmm. that antenna as a camera to scan colors. And this sends vibrations back to his head and tells him what's red, what's blue, what's green. And right. then his friend loves experimenting with his heart. So he, had, he built a pacemaker and embedded it into his heart. The only reason I say this, okay, and bring this up is because they sold access to their bodies via NFTs. So if someone bought the NFT, they could change Neil's color perception by what the camera kind of sees. And if they bought wow. Poles NFT, they could change his heart rate and his heartbeat and alter his his temperature and his dreams and everything. And I asked them like- His what would wait, you... dreams? Yes, 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 yes. Like, cool. And I asked them, I was like, how much would you actually sell this for? Because they were just testing it amongst, the, amongst themselves. And they both looked at each other like, yeah, 100K, I don't know. And they're like, no, nah, that might even be too much. And I'm like, keep in mm-hmm. mind, you're selling access to your body right? 24 365. You come into the picture like, no, if you want to buy a fraction of sliver, I think the entire pie is worth a million. Where mm-hmm. do you get like your your business mindset? Like where do you get this element? Like are your parents, like what, what are your parents' background? How are you raised? Like because selling access to your body, hundred mm-hmm. versus selling access to your album, your art, that's who you are, a million dollars. How do you, you know what I mean? Like, where does that come from? Uh, did you grow up like that? Like in a very businessy type of environment? Tell me more about that.
1: It's interesting. A, I need to meet those two people. Yeah. So if you can hook <laughs> me up on email, because I'm just like, <laughs> how can we put that into distorting someone's perception of a song? Um, So I'm actually very interested in that. It. But I feel like I grew up, A, I grew up with, um, I was born to work. Right, I, I was instilled a very, very intense work ethic from a very young age. And I think the business acumen has come over time um, my my mom is a professor of marketing, mm. and so her and I have had a lot Amazing. of very in depth debates um, about all of this stuff. and And she really has expanded and challenged a lot of my notions. And my mother is brilliantly smart, and so mm. to debate with her, you need to be on your toes. <laughs> And so but I think a lot of it has also been born out of the practical. It's like I bootstrapped all of the initial capital for this project by like waiting tables at Applebee's and Times Square. Mm. Right. And so again, like having this work ethic and putting my own money into the project. And I, I felt always like this responsibility for it. Right. And since like, that was the turning point of recognizing, okay, but this is a business, I'm investing my own money. Right. I need to make sure that I can sustain this, right? I need to make sure that this is a viable career and a viable project for the next 10 to 15 years. And back then it was because I had this innate fear that I was going to have to go back to waiting tables because I waited tables from the time I was like 14, right? Wow. And now it's just this sense of oh, I actually just want to be doing this for the next 20 years. And I want to be able to empower other artists to recognize that they actually have the capacity to develop the business acumen, to treat themselves like creative entrepreneurs so that they can put themselves in positions of power um, when they're taking on investment, when they're Mm -hmm. sourcing creative partners, Mm -hmm. et cetera. And so that's been my mission, you know, really for the last five years yeah. of trying to drill that into people's heads.
0: Super cool. Okay. So more on this business acumen, I remember reading in the blog post, you're like, okay, like, fuck, this is going to cost me $400 for my first mint. Fuck it. We'll just pull the trigger because I just took this as a business expense. Many people enter the space and they don't really have that mentality of being like, okay, this is a business expense. Something bigger is going to come out of this. And they get stuck at just like signing that transaction, you know, just mm-hmm. to put that thing on chain. But just to comment on that let's let's take it back even further like how long were you working at applebees for
1: <laughs> i um since the time i was 18 so 14 to 18 i was working at like wow. random local restaurants and then <laughs> at 18 18 to 24 i was at various applebees initially upstate and then when i moved to the city i i couldn't i couldn't find another job and so wow. I, I like walked in and i was just like i'm going to work here
0: and you were um, you creating like music and, and doing all that stuff during that time as well?
1: Yeah. So essentially, I mean, I think the first for a while I was really aimless. I didn't understand how to create a career in music. Yeah. I had, sure. You know, sure. no entry a more of the creative
0: side. I guess like exploring. Yeah. yeah.
1: I, so I was writing music in the pockets of time, but I was working anywhere okay. from like forty to eighty hours a week, wow. and just like saving all like working so much, I couldn't spend any of the money I was saving. Yeah. Um. And then in 2014, I had these four songs that I just, something shifted. It was like, this feels right. This feels like my voice. This feels like what I want to be doing. Um, And I just kind of hustled it on blogs. I sent a song to 500 blogs. One blog picked it up. And that got me every major label and major publisher meeting wow. in the UK initially, and then kind of st- slowly started uh, my
0: career. Yeah. I wonder if there's a correlation between people who started their careers in hospitality and then end up, ended up being musicians and community builders, if there's any like correlation between the charismatic that, uh, personality that <laughs> you need to have, the people skills that you need to have. Etc. cetera. Cause I also started in, uh, uh, in restaurants. I started off as like a host a busboy and like cleaning toilets and shit, but, and then like somehow yeah. ended up in crypto. I don't know, but anyways, okay. We just sidetracked a bunch. Let's get back. <laughs> Let's get back to NFTs. Okay. Um, part of the, the blog that you wrote, okay. You outlined three types of NFTs. Okay. One of one music NFTs, fractionalized ownership NFTs and experiential NFTs. Can you talk more about these three types of NFTs, uh, that you outlined in the blog? and as a follow-on question how do you actually build a full encompassing campaign around these three types of nfts and i know it's a loaded question but i'm curious to see how you take it
1: so one of one nfts are where i got started obviously and i think for me right it is i think i said it before it's like the mona lisa of nfts like there's just one it's a much higher price point Um, that being said when I started I put no reserves because I was interested like again how does the market value this asset because I had no idea and for me like I've experimented with a few experiences around them but I think the highest one of one that I've sold uh, sold for like 4.5 ETH which was like 20k at the time Hmm. and I had created this sentimental proposition. I actually, it was the song that I played at the NFT NYC event. Oh,
0: okay. Um, it, was, whereas, it, was a, it was a slower, sadder song, right? I remember. Yeah. Right. Yeah, okay. And
1: so when I got asked to play that event, I was just like, I'm going to come play two sad songs and go. Um, <laughs> that's my style, you know? Um, but it was really interesting because there were no perks associated with that particular NFT other than I was just like, why would someone value an mp3 that they can go listen to on spotify for free right right and so all of my one-of-ones have been an experiment in again trying to figure out the underlying psychology of why somebody wants to purchase and i've come up with like a few things a they feel a sentimental attachment to that song and they want it b patronage is alive and well it's somebody who collected a one-of-one music nft who asked to remain anonymous was just happy and hoped that their purchase could provide me with the financial freedom to continue to create. Somebody else um, was just so excited that I was involved in crypto and wanted me to continue that journey because they believed that I would have an impact. Right. Right. And so I think there's a lot of reasons for that, but ultimately I think one-of-one music NFTs are kind of my favorite. And I love what catalog Mm -hmm. is doing because it's literally just like, it's it's able to reinvigorate the value of a back catalog, which as we churn through streaming, it's like a song essentially dies once it's phased out of the algorithm. Mm -hmm. And so it's an opportunity to give life to old songs and also provide Uh, new experiences for new songs
0: which by the way i think a lot of people forget that you don't have to come out with a new song and issue that mint that as an nft you can repurpose old songs matter of fact a lot of the most Mm -hmm. successful drops from blau to yours to latasha etc those were repurposed singles that then were brought back to life because of blockchain technology right yeah
1: so and i think that's some of the most impactful stuff is like we're talking about The fact that music has value and it should be valued maybe more than the traditional systems and like so we're able to give this music new life yeah and i have a really big back catalog so Mm. eventually it'll all go up
0: you're gonna get a good airdrop i'm excited for you (laughs) (laughs) okay okay the next one is fractionalized ownership
1: yeah so i guess in this i i have two pillars it's like we have additions, which I guess is not technically fractionalized ownership, but it's, I guess, a tier of it. It's like one of 25, one of a hundred, et cetera. Um, And then you have things like party bid, um, Mm, where you're actually fractionalizing the ownership of one asset. Um, And then you have you can take it a step further. So the additions, like I said, is sound, and then you can take it a step further and tie the fra- tie the fractionalization to a real world asset. So maybe you're getting a unique NFT, but you're getting, um, you know, a fractionalized royalty payment with that. And I think that why i like fractionalization is we have to realize that one of one music nfts actually aren't accessible financially Mm -hmm. um, to the average participant and we're still having to recondition an entire generation so they don't even understand why they should value ownership of anything digital and so additions are good because they're a lower price point Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: essentially more people can be involved in the process and why I like fractionalized ownership of music and tying royalties into it is because it's creating a bridge for the average fan to participate in a way that they can tie it back into the real world, which I think that bridge is going to be really necessary for everything that we're doing in Web3 and on the blockchain to scale.
0: Got it. Do you see additions being more liquid or less liquid than one of ones?
1: Um, I think they're more liquid and I think they're more speculative, right? Because they're again, lower price point, more people are going to participate and try to flip. Whereas I think one of ones, if you're spending that amount of money, um, you have a connection to what you're buying. I would think um, for the most part, you Mm -hmm. have a connection to the project or the song or the piece of art. And so you're going to want to hold on to that most likely.
0: Got it. Okay. The last one is experiential NFTs. Okay. Um, and I know you touched upon this in the past, but let's quickly, let's quickly revisit, revisit it. Excuse me one more time.
1: So experiential, I think a it's about, I guess anything can be experiential, right? But for me, um, I've been working with this company, IYK, and we piloted this thing called Guestbook for my last tour, which was essentially, I was really frustrated. Uh, A promoter that I was working with in DC uh, went under in COVID. And so I had been building with them for years. Mm. And when we were promoting my show in DC with a new promoter, we were having trouble selling tickets, partially because of COVID, but Mm -hmm. also because we didn't have access to the people who had come to the years of previous shows. And I was annoyed. And so I thought, how cool would it be? for people to be able to come to a show, tap their phone, enter their ETH address um, and email and be able to get an NFT where I can incentivize future participation uh, to come for people to come to shows. I can then know who actually came to a show. Um, And so we built it out and we kind of created a little experience around it where you can put your name, your email address, you can leave me a message. So I have all of these messages from fans who came to the shows. And then we essentially airdropped them NFTs. We co-created the artwork. So it's the NFT is actually pictures of all of my fans who took Mm. selfies at the show.
0: And so you kind of. That's so intricate. That's so cool.
1: It came out real, I'll send you the link because it yeah. actually came out beautifully, but that's just one example of, it's like, we're trying to solve one problem, but ultimately you have to provide an experience for a fan to do anything outside of the realm of normal. Cause like, we're all busy human beings who have a lot to do. And so it was really, kind of a beautiful thing to watch it unfold. And we got good participation. Um, More people tapped than went through the whole process of entering their ETH address, showing us that like we are early and there's a long process of Mm -hmm. onboarding. But again, it's like you want to create something where like there's a value floor. So if all you want to do is leave me a message, please do. Right. And then there's incentive to. But if you go all the way through, we'll give you this NFT. Mm -hmm. I'm going to sign a few photos of people who left comments on the guest book page and mail them to them. So Mm. they have a signed photo of them from the show. So it's like creating a bigger experience for people to um, to I guess, just enjoy while, again, creating a system where like, now I know who came to my last New York show and ultimately, ideally we'll tie that to ticketing somehow. But again, that's in the next five years.
0: So, you know, my next question was going to be, how do you create an experience for, I guess, um, non-deep pocketed fans who don't have the ability to drop $400, $500 on, a, on an edition or a few thousand mm-hmm. dollars on a one of one And you basically just answer that question, but does it extend beyond that as well? Like, how can you create more... Lower barriers to entry uh, to to be a part of your digital experience on chain.
1: So I think first off is you have to give fans the experience for free, right? And so that's what we did with Guestbook. It's just like we didn't charge you; you just had to create a wallet, give us your ETH address. All of a sudden, you have an NFT. Then you have an NFT, right? That's an experience. Um, I think second, I you know, I have a project coming up and that involves fractionalization and I wanted to frame it like a merch bundle. Mm, So fans right now, my last merch bundle was a bunch of t-shirts, a signed lyric book, all of this stuff for like $120. Right. And a lot of fans bought it and got their merch. And I think for me, it's like, well, what if, I tied some an exclusive signed piece of merch to this fractionalized asset um, that also came with an experience, mm. right? And so I'm really conscious when I'm onboarding fans to create a floor of value so that they're never disappointed. So I'm not here shilling uh, ETH on my fans or even my NFTs. I think that we need to allow it to be a really natural process because I don't want people to have a bad experience. Right and then look at me and say, well, Verite told me to do it, (laughs) right? We Like, I'm not interested in that kind of disappointment. That being said, it's like if we can create an on-ramp with familiar language um, where you're getting something physical and then you're getting something digital, and if that digital asset plummets or, I don't know, crypto is outlawed and all these platforms vanish, they're not going to feel disappointed because they actually have something physical and an experience. And so I think that creating a whole world around it is going to be better for fans coming into the space.
0: Yeah. You know, let's say crypto does get outlawed and all these (laughs) applications need to eliminate. The beauty behind this technology is that it will forever live on chain. Right. So people just got to get be technical, know how to code smart contracts, and they can access things via uh, different sites and just interact with the different contracts and whatnot. So we still have hope. Okay. We still, we, we still, still have, have hope. hope. Yes. We still, so have
1: hope. I doubt many will do that.
0: <laughs> yes. I, I highly doubt as well. Okay. Uh, a couple more questions your way. Okay. This comes back to your business acumen. Um, and, I asked this next question with the hopes of maybe providing some type of framework for new up-and-coming musicians who want to mint songs, okay, and sell mm-hmm. songs. How do you price a song? How do you price an album? Um, mm-hmm. And I guess take this from the point of view of an up-and-coming nobody artist, okay, that's getting into NFTs, and a more established artist, uh, like Nas, for example, who did just did their launch with Royal, and soon more to come. Mm -hmm. So from two different perspectives.
1: I think I have a similar feeling on both. Um, But I'll start with somebody who's just starting out. Um, For my first three NFTs, I set no reserve price Hmm. because I didn't know how the market valued the asset right and so I think that there is a push to kind of go with this is valuable to me so I'm gonna price it high but I think there's a lot of there's a lot that can be learned by just putting something out and seeing what happens and if somebody makes a bid of 0.3 ETH accepting it and saying all right cool and then creating that relationship and building that value over time. I think somebody like Nas who it's very clear that there's a demand for what he was doing um also can price himself higher but also did so in a reasonable way where w- there was a $50 price point and that's mm-hmm. really accessible, mm-hmm. right? And so I think that everybody should have the consideration of if you're entering into a new space and, in, and a new realm, remaining curious about where you're going to fit within that and, and recognizing that like you're starting from square one and slowly, but surely um, building that value.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. I think it's still, again, goes back to our value conversations, very arbitrary, right? You took, you have your business level vacuum in that you said, okay, this is worth a million dollars. Right. And, Rightfully so. I think there's value in being first to something beyond just valuing your craft. Mm -hmm. Um, But I also think like we're seeing uh, different platforms experiment with additions and how they're pricing stuff. And it's very much a 0.1 ETH right now, but it could very much be 0.75 ETH. And um, Mm -hmm. I think it very much depends on what the goals are, what you're after, um, who you're trying to sell to for the most part. Like if you're trying to upsell versus create new audiences that enter from the top funnel, I think there's different, there's different ways to approach it, but it's something that I've been trying to ask more and more people just to provide more clarity on. Okay. Um, last question. Okay. Last but not least. Well, actually, (laughs) there's so many other questions. We'll see where this one ends. Okay. Um, (laughs) so there's this question that you, when you, when you go to a sushi restaurant, you typically ask the chef, okay. Where do Mm -hmm. you eat sushi? Like, where do you go get your sushi from? And it's typically like an indicator like shit. Like I got to go try that place. So mm-hmm. my question to you is like, where do you get your crypto knowledge from? Who do you look for? I know you mentioned RAC. I know you mentioned we talked about Blau in the past. Is there anyone mm-hmm. that's less known or that you you haven't really talked about yet? that You get your your crypto acumen from?
1: I think I do a lot of listening. I think I need. I, I'm in a phase right now where I recognize that I actually have a lot more learning to do, um, and partially I've just been so underwater with my own projects. But I really think it's it's looking towards my peers, right? I look at everything that RAC is doing and has built, and how well he's built it, and how well versed, and I really respect it. I really respect uh, what what Justin Blau has built. And, you know, people like my peers, um, like what Latasha has built in terms of pioneering music videos, um, you know, what David has built and in Amon who just started working at sound. And so from my perspective, it's like, I feel like we're all sitting and learning together and that's really powerful. And now I'm kind of sitting and recognizing that there's a hill I have to climb of developing like a more Uh, sophisticated technical understanding behind Mm -hmm. everything and I'm really excited to do that and it's a bit daunting Um, and I have some books that I need to read and like you know but I think that I'm really focused on learning from my peers
0: always be learning I love it okay this is going to be the final question I promise okay what do you think the relationship between an artist and a music label might look like in the future thanks to crypto thanks to, to web3 primitives Etc., uh,
1: I am. I hate the term label. And okay. here's, I really believe that artists should be their own labels.
0: Okay.
1: I really believe that artists, when they are in control, when they have full autonomy, are going to um, create the best art and be the most successful. And I think that outsourcing essentially a label infers that there's an exchange of ownership for capital right and i really want to empower artists to maintain that ownership bootstrap their own capital and web3 is providing us with a whole host of tools uh, to do that in new and innovative ways Um, but ultimately that the artist should be the CEO of their company and they should be hiring out services um, and strategically adding people to their team without giving up that core of ownership. And so I think that labels are going to have to shift um, into something different if they want to. Well, they're always going to exist because quite frankly, the reason why I've been, you know, I talk a lot about empowerment and ownership. And it falls on deaf ears a lot of times when people still sign the deals, right? (laughs) So ultimately they're providing a service that some artists don't want to do. And so they're always going to exist. But I really are advocate for the artists who are willing to put in that work and build something of their own and be their own label.
0: So by that definition, let's revert back to the example of you selling uh, ownership of, of like the million dollar pie. Right mm-hmm. And that was one collector jumping in and grabbing that last minute and like taking the lead. That could have easily been through a record label, right. Like they could have easily upfronted that capital and owned it owned a piece of the work versus owned you as a person, right quote unquote.
1: Exactly. And and that kind of ties back into our earlier kind of pontification about like what is ownership. Yeah. It's like the idea of that person owns a a percentage of royalties they don't own me, right? They don't own my entity. They don't control what I do in the future. They don't even control what I do with the song. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think that that's the difference. The fundamental difference for me is like, I need full autonomy and ownership of Verite as a human, as a creator and as an entity, but I am willing to create, uh, Ways and means that fans can participate in the upside of what I do, right, and yeah. make that process collaborative. But I think that I—it's part of the reason why I'm slightly skeptical of like DAOs, like music DAOs, oh, that kind of force uh, voting. right for for what an artist can or can't do right because that feels like a label it feels like deferring that autonomy to a group of other people and i think we have yet to see what that'll look like in the future
0: interesting hot take you're the first person that that came on the pod on all the episodes even my last show blockchain and booze like the first person that came on and said your opinion like that about that was interesting because but i'm not opposed I mean, right I'm not a, like i'm not but opposed. in a specific context right in, yeah. in a specific context okay because then you see what people like daniel allen are doing and like they have this like overstimulated dow and he's actually initiating votes through discord and they're reacting based off the the little emojis you know if you want mm-hmm. me to do x put the smiley if you don't want it put the frowny you know and then him kind of like taking the lead off of that but you're saying like don't touch me Don't touch my creative process. Just come (laughs) along the journey and trust me, then I'll make it right, kind of thing.
1: Yeah. And I think that what Daniel Allen is doing, he did definitely the boldest and most extreme version of what you can do. And like, it's an experiment, and we'll see, like, we're going to see how it plays out in a year. And that being said, it was a really successful experiment that's moving the conversation, regardless of how he feels about it in a year or two. Yeah. But I think that. Innovation can have unintended consequences. And we and I think that for me, it's like I want to create participation and collaboration, but I also need people to trust that, like, again, I was born to work. Like, I'm going to yeah. make this shit work. <laughs>
0: it's about to be at Applebee's 3.0. Let's fucking go. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Verity, I think that's a great place to end off. Before I let you go, where can we find you? Where can we stay in touch with you? Uh, shill the Show yourself and let the world know.
1: Yeah. So I'm at Verite on basically all socials. You should join my discord. It's not a lot of web three native people. It's mostly just my fans. Um, but that being said, uh, we do have an NFT channel. And other than that, you can just hit me up, send me a DM. I usually respond.
0: You do. Yes, you do. Yes, I I, I can I can say that proudly. But <laughs> this was fun. Uh, thank you so much for being on. We should definitely do this again at some point. Um, and uh, we'll talk soon.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Right.